IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we review the new album by Radiohead side project, The Smile. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. You can hear him covering the Steve Miller Band on the Minions' Rise of Gru soundtrack. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, and I'm going to be covering the Joker, but in the style of this cover band that I used to see at college all the time. Like, they would play the Joker, and they'd get the same lyric wrong the same way each time. They'd say, I really love your peaches, want to climb your tree. So oh. when you hear when you hear that Benny Dodd, if you're still out there kicking around in Charlottesville, that one's for you. Has anyone <laughs> ever covered the Joker as the Joker? You know, like they sing it oh, in Jesus the voice Christ. of the Joker. It, it, this seems like an idea that's so obvious, and yet no one has done it. Like none of the DC movies, they've never had a scene like where the Joker is looking in the mirror. Like a real Jordan Peele, like reverb slowed down version of the Joker. Like this is like real 90s stand-up hour shit. Hey, hey guys, I've been thinking, you know, what if the Joker covered the Joker? Am I right? But I'm just saying it's such a dumb idea. Like you could see like the the next iteration of Batman, there's like a slowed down uh, gothy version of the Joker. And there's like a children's choir on it. And they're like, I'm a Joker. I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight. Toker. Oh it's very, and then it's like, good gung, like very sinister. <laughs> no, that, or no, the Riddler's gonna cover Abracadabra. That's what's gonna fucking happen. So we have like so much banter in this yes. episode that we're not gonna be talking about things that would normally dominate the banter. Like there's a Smashing Pumpkins, Jane Addic- Jane's Addiction arena tour set for the fall. Yeah. That, that would be good material for us. Uh, Sunny Day Real Estate is doing a reunion show. Like I think it's their first show since 2010. I guess Nate Mendel isn't mm. coming back, so it's not a complete reunion, but he hasn't been involved in a long time. No. Um, we're not going to talk about those things because we need to talk about the Minions Rise of Gru soundtrack yeah. that Jack Antonoff is involved in. It's a, And it's like the indie rock soundtrack for the Minions movie. And I have to say, like, okay, so my kids love Minions. Okay. They love those movies. And Despicable Me, the, D- the Despicable Me trilogy, I think there's three of yeah. them. Um, so I'm going to be hearing these songs a lot. So uh, so Jack Antonoff is coming into my house, basically. Uh, show you the in ropes, a very kid. intimate way. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I just read, I just want to read from Rolling Stone's news brief about this album, because I think this is funnier than anything we have to say about it. But I... We'll see if you can come up with something, but I can't think of anything funnier than this. Jack Antonoff crafted the 70s-inspired soundtrack for Minions, The Rise of Gru, set for release on July 1st, uh, with uh, participation from Brock Hampton, Caroline Polachek, Bleachers, of course, Phoebe Bridgers, of course, uh, Callie Uchis, I've heard that name, I don't, I'm not familiar. I'm pretty sure you did not pronounce that right. I'm sure I didn't. Uh, Tierra Wack, uh, H E R, Brittany, Brittany Howard, Thundercat, Rizza, St. Vincent, and more. St. Vincent of this batch of artists have tackled classic releases from John Lennon, The Carpenters, Nancy Sinatra, Sly and the Family Stone, Cool and the Gang, Santana, and more. 
On Instagram, Antonoff wrote, My favorite 70s songs performed by my favorite artists in an original I wrote with Sam Dew, Patrick Berger, and Kevin Parker, mm. performed by Diana Ross and Tame Impala, called Turn Up the Sunshine. That just gets more and more ridiculous as the sentence goes on, <laughs> like or harder to believe. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you got... You got uh, all these indie rock luminaries covering songs from the 70s. Yeah. So it's like a little bit like the Guardi- Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack, uh, but yeah. with a little bit of indie rock in there too. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I just love the, my favorite 70s songs performed by my favorite 70, my favorite artists. Like that is such a natural thing that people would talk <laughs> like. I mean, it's like blink twice, Jack, if you can see us. Um, I, You know, we, we hash out trends and we review albums here, but I think... What is IndieCast but this long-running experiment of me just becoming increasingly numb to just what happened, like what our culture has become? Because, I mean, I think in past years, I would have looked at something like this and felt outrage or just the desire to, like, roast it for, like, weeks on end. I mean, I don't, like, St. Vincent is doing funky town. Like, I think we have to be... (laughs) We have to point that out. After like her unfunky seventies pastiche, Saint Vincent is doing funky town. And we, you know, I, I joked about Steve Miller band yeah. at the top of the episode. Someone's doing abracadabra. No, right? no, uh, Thundercat's doing fly like an eagle. Which, given like um, what Thundercat actually, that could does, be good. That could actually be half decent. Um, yeah, that that's like I'm mildly excited about. Hearing yeah. That. But, I mean, look, I, I think we've taken a pretty uh, can't-knock-the-hustle approach to um, just music in general. Like, whatever you got to do to get the bag while the bag's there, please just go for it. I don't know if this leads to uh, – I don't know. Maybe this is like a, a psyop from the Grammy Commission. You know, if, the, if kids hear H.E.R. on the Minion soundtrack, that maybe they'll care about them as much as, like, the Grammy Commission does. I, I can't think of anything else, really. I mean, like, who, who, who is this for? It's like, no, uh, as a parent, I'm not going to take my kids to see Minions, The Rise of Gru, unless I hear Caroline Polachek doing... I'm imagining if it's a Santana song, it's not smooth, right? No, she's doing Bang Bang, uh, the Nancy Sinatra okay, song. Okay, cool. Like, that's a song you hear at the beginning of Kill Bill okay. for you Tarantino heads out there. <laughs> yeah. uh, Bleachers is doing Instant Karma. The John Lennon song. Oh. I hate it already. <laughs> um, look, I, you know, I'm not mad at this either. When I, you know, now, I, you know, I've been uh, IndieCast pilled where I see something like this and I'm like excited because I know we'll talk about it on the show. So I'm like, oh, this is great podcast content. I do think, you know, I'm looking at our outline here. It is funny that we talked about the Minions Rise of Gru soundtrack mm. ahead of the new Kendrick Lamar album that's out today. Yeah. Uh, maybe the uh, most anticipated album of the year. I mean, it's hard to think of an album that has more, uh, you know, people looking forward to hearing it. I mean, we haven't had a new Kendrick album in five years and we're not talking about it in this episode because we didn't get in advance. I don't think anyone got in advance of this album. If they they did, I I guarantee right now, maybe you could go on like, you could go on like uh, Kevin Durant's Instagram and there'll be like little snippets of it. But I think this is one where it's not like, you're going to reach out to TDE and say, hey, man, uh, we're thinking about uh, hashing out this album on IndieCast. You think you can slide this one over a day or two early? Like, it's, Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we got pull like that. Kendrick doesn't need advanced reviews 
you know, to get people hyped for this no. record. By the way, it's called Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. In this economy? No, I'm just <laughs> Wow, we are, we, are, um, we are really doing the fucking airplane food jokes this day. It's all right. Yeah. I think it's like uh, ironically bad. So, you know, we're aware of how bad these uh, these jokes yeah. are. Um, he put out that single, I guess that was this week, right? This, the single in video? That, yeah, that was like on Sunday, I think. Um, how do we feel about the single? I wasn't knocked out by it. I thought it was all right. Maybe maybe it's, maybe it's just like too much writing on it because you're like, oh, new Kendrick Lamar album, get the first taste. There's like so much baggage you bring to that. Yeah. And if it doesn't knock you out, you know, maybe it's, it's, I mean, I'm not calling it a disappointment. I'm just saying, I thought it was okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought the video was a little bit, this is America for my taste. I know there's like a, there, there's a time and place for like blunt force, but the deep fakes just seemed a little gimmicky in a way that was a little bit beneath Kendrick. That being said, it was like an opinion that I had to just kind of wait it out and keep to myself because this, I mean, we talk about like other Stan armies for like Taylor Swift or uh, Adele or what have you. And you know what? They do their thing. But like Kendrick is a completely different sort of beast because there was one great tweet where it's like, look, he's standing on the left side, which is where the heart is located. And that's him bringing the heart back into hip hop. Uh. Like people will, people will really mean that. And the thing about Kendrick is that he really encourages that. So, um, this is, you know, what if I, that's I, true? Like what if it was like, Oh no, no, no one's going <laughs> to notice this. I'm going to move a little bit to the left because there's been no heart in hip hop since my last record. So yeah. I will visually put myself in the frame to, you know, subliminally communicate that I am bringing the heart. Hey, imagine him thinking that. Like, he would be that full of himself. He might. He, you think he would? He might. <laughs> that is the thing. Like, Kendrick has... The thing about Kendrick, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, is that, like, the the conversation around Kendrick Lamar as opposed to, like, other people at his uh, echelon is that he's got, like, a lot of kind of goofy ideas that are really hard to talk about because... Uh, you know, it's like he's a Pulitzer Prize winner, like, and so forth. Like, it's really tough to just say, like, are we sure Halle Berry or Hallelujah is that profound? Or like the song about like, what if God was a homeless guy? So, I mean, Kendrick has a lot of like yeah. kind of half baked ideas, but the genius and mastery of his performance are like so fucking obvious that it's it's almost like, ah, eh, we'll, we'll we'll take it. Well, so, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this next week. I am a little curious yeah. because there is like a generation of of kids now who are are mm-hmm. removed from his you know sort of epoch uh, in the 2010s, you know, because because you know, 5 years if you're a teenager is a really long yeah. time and there's been a lot of things that have happened. I am curious to see if he has now moved into uh you know, sort of like a the category where, where older people appreciate him and younger people pay lip service, but maybe they don't Oof. really love. I don't know. We'll, 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 I'm dying to see. We'll have it. a better idea next week when we see the reactions to the record. I'm, I'm, but I'm curious to see how that plays out because it, you know, as as revered as he was in the 2010s and still is now, that's an interesting thing to contemplate. You know, the the, the kids, like, how do they feel about this guy? This is a great subject to entertain on a day we're talking about a radio. Exactly. Absolutely. There's an obvious parallel there. And Uh we'll be talking about that later in the episode. Before we get to that, uh, we got to talk about the Evan Dando uh, Jawbreaker feud. This is kind of an old story, so maybe we don't want to dwell on it too much. But this broke, 
I think it was like right after we recorded. It was it was like I, it I, was yeah, it was hours after we which, recorded to the point where brutal. our intrepid indie cast listeners are like, God damn it, can you guys go back in the lab and like do a little bonus. Uh, yeah, material? we 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 probably should have at that point. I, for those who don't know what happened, you know, Evan Dando, the Lemonheads, he went on his Twitter account. I guess it was last Thursday or it might have been Friday, and yeah. he called uh, the, uh, the the 90s emo punk legends jawbreaker. He called them pussies, and he yeah. challenged them to a fight. And yeah, and this was the beginning of a of a tweet thread that he did. And I, I I tweeted about the initial tweet where he called them pussies, and I was just yeah. amused by this because it just seemed like the most random and illogical mm. feud ever you know it's like oh it's like ben fold's gonna challenge rancid to a fight now i mean like it just seemed really (laughs) weird but then subsequently he explained that they recently played some shows together uh jawbreaker uh they're doing some reunion shows and they invited the lemonheads to open but then i guess they fired the lemonheads uh yes (laughs) they were gonna play four shows and maybe it was just three shows i think something like that um which does that bill make any sense i Absolutely, it makes a ton of I mean, sense. I, know, I mean, but, like, but, the, but like, I know the Lemonheads started out more punky, but I just think of them yeah. as like a country rock '90s band. Whoa! <laughs> like, it's a shame about I Ray. Would... That's like a that's not a punk record. That's like just like a jangly no. like country rock record. Yeah, but I mean, I think they started out more in that sort of realm. And like, when I interviewed Blake for Up Rocks, like. You know, they, him and, like, many artists from that era, like, respect the hell out of uh, the Lemonheads. You know, great songwriters. And, you know, the whole thing about this tour, you know, aside from, like, booking acts like the Linda Lindas, is that, you know, Jawbreaker wanted to uh, bring, you know, their friends on tour. Like, Smoking Popes and Jawbox. And, um, and Evan Dando, you know, with, who's, with, like, never heard. And Evan Dando, who did exactly what you expect Evan Dando to do. Like, it was a... He said that, like, I've never listened to the jaw, like to Jawbreaker before. Like, that's what he said in his tweet thread. And, and, and he was basically saying, like, he was calling them doing, like, a, you know, like a Springsteen routine. And that, yeah. you know, he wanted to, like, throw up when he heard them playing. So, like, there was clearly... Maybe Jawbreaker loves the Lemonheads, but this was not a mutual appreciation. Oh, absolutely society. not. <laughs> so, it, it's just odd. I don't know. I guess, I mean, if you think they make sense musically, to me, it doesn't make a lot of, of sense. It does. But, I mean, with the Lemonheads, like, Evan... I, I feel almost bad talking about this because Evan Dando's, like, struggles with addiction are, like, really well-known. And, uh, you know, I'm told that the shows before they got fired were, like, super incoherent and, like, worrisome. And apparently, like, at the end of this tweet thread, he Evan Dando, like, tied it back into something going on with the Ukraine um which you know it's that's a that's a real triple lutz sort of thing right there i mean i never thought of evan dando as an elite poster but look it it, it's just kind of sad all around but the upshot is lemonheads they get fired from the tour and people who are supposed to see the lemonheads got to see the get up kids which a makes more sense and b you know they're going to put on a much better show if not like one that you might want to surreptitiously capture on instagram for like a few really sad laughs before we get to our mailbag segment, I do feel like we need to talk a little bit about the announcement this week that Apple will no longer be making iPods, which yeah. I thought they stopped like five years ago. I was surprised Same. that this was still, <laughs> like, like, were people still buying iPods early, earlier this year? I, I, it blows my mind. I, I mean, maybe they were winding down and this is like the official end of the iPod. 
But but right. I wanted to get your take on this because I you know I've seen people write about the iPod uh, in mm. a romantic a romanticized kind of way, like reminiscing about right. the iPod and and comparing it. Uh, to what we have now with streaming and 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 really preferring that era where mm. you know you had your music collection on this thing and you didn't have to pay for Spotify or Apple Music or whatever um and i i'm wondering if you have any of those feelings cuz i have to say i really don't i would cuz mm. like looking back on the mp3 era which seems like a discrete era at this point that has a beginning and an end. I mean, obviously there's still MP3s, but as far as that being the preeminent, um, you know, music format, I mean, we've really moved on from that. And I mean, I still use MP3s because I have a lot of like bootlegs and like live music and like (laughs) you have to listen to it that way. But I have to, I have to say that I feel like MP3s were like, it's like the worst of, like all worlds, like it's not as convenient <laughs> as streaming and it's not as aesthetically pleasing as buying like right. a physical like record or CD or whatever. Um, you know, and just like, like buying a seat, like an MP3 download for $10. I mean that people complain about when they used to charge $18 for a CD. Yeah. The MP3 thing just seems worse to me. Cause you're just getting yeah. like, files that in some cases like you couldn't move to like a different player or you know you don't actually own the mp3s like sometimes like uh you know there'd be weird things like with the coding where you if you had like something other than an ipod you couldn't put it on there uh they're so easy to lose um i don't i just don't feel a lot of warm feelings for that like do you um i would say that like Look, uh, my my nostalgia for the iPod and my nostalgia for like that era of music in general are just inextricable. Um, you, my memories of listening to say Death Cab for Cuties Plans or like the first Girl Talk album are yeah, like it it is just I cannot separate it from having an iPod and then getting the new generation of iPods. I mean, I owned an iPod as recently as like 2018 or 19. It was like a touch one and it got stolen from the gym. And yeah, at the, after that point, it's like, well, I haven't really been like downloading, you know, uh, album promos and I haven't, you know, I don't have a lot of like mixtapes off datpiff.com. So I'm certainly not going to go out of my way to like buy an iPod classic on the secondary market. Like I was tempted to back in the day. And yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of surprised they're done. Look, uh, as so. I just love organization and I love like arranging things. So I'm going to miss spending like two hours making sure the metadata for like all of my Lil Wayne uh, mixtapes are correct where it's like, okay, the reason this isn't working is because this version of Lil Wayne has an apostrophe after Lil and this one doesn't. So yeah, I, I, just, I just think of the hours I spent trying to arrange, arrange my stuff so I'm not, like, scrolling through six different Little Wayne entries. Well, you know, I still do that because I'll go on Expecting Rain and I'll download uh, Bob Dylan bootlegs. And then I have to <laughs> pay for iTunes Match so I can uh, play them on my phone. So oh, I, so I still do that, you know. But in terms of, like, buying a new album on MP3... That just seems no. I never fucking did. That just that. seems like the worst way to get music. I mean, look, streaming yeah. has problems. Like I, 
but I stream music, but I also buy records. And I'm like, if I'm going to buy something, I, I, I want a physical object. I don't want to just buy MP3s. You know, that, that seems like a terrible way to shop. So I just, so for that reason, I don't feel a lot of nostalgia for that era. I'm like, okay, this deserved to end. Yeah. I'd rather like give a band like 10 bucks directly and listen to their album on streaming rather than like buying a, a band camp version of it because yeah like you said it's like oh cool i get like a lower quality of music and i don't get to hold something in my hands sick and i might not be able to play it on a different player yeah, and uh I, what if am i going to be able to play this on my pono device i mean let's think about the big picture exactly you know if i'm buying neil young albums on <laughs> itunes i want to be able to play it on my pono i mean why do i have a pono i guess though i would buy it from the pono store is there a pono there must have been a pono store <laughs> Probably still you, is. You would know better than me. Um, I haven't delved into ponos yet. I've never gotten a pono. I did. I think I probably told the story before. When I was in Los Angeles about a decade ago, I saw Neil Young and Daryl Hannah at a restaurant. And I walked out and I saw Neil Young's car and he had a big pono on the deck of the car. And I was like, this man walks it as he talks it, man. He's got the That's pono right. in his car. <laughs> Let's get to our mailbag segment. Thank you all for writing in and uh, reaching out to us. It's always great to hear from our listeners. You can hit us up at IndieCastMailbag at gmail.com. Uh, do you want to read our letter this yeah. week? I do. So this comes from Kyle in Glasgow, Scotland. Nice. Glasgow. Gla- yeah, cool. Our first Scottish listener, I think. I think so. Um, yeah, a lot of, lot of IndieCast core coming from Scotland. Uh, so last week you briefly mentioned The Replacements, a band I haven't heard reference on IndieCast too many times before, which seems unbelievable, but here we are. Uh, just wanted to hear both of your thoughts on the, he calls them the Ments. I've never heard him call that. They are the Mats, as far as I know. Uh, but, maybe you know, the, we'll let that Maybe they're the Ments in, in Scotland. Maybe, Ooh, that would maybe be Maybe the Scottish cool. call the Ments. Regional dialects. Um, uh, do you feel they get their just rewards for being as influential as they are, or do you think their body of work sometimes gets overlooked? Basically, are they a first ballot IndieCast Hall of Fame band? Cheers, Kyle. Uh, so this is, it's really <laughs> funny that uh, we got this email this week because I am currently in the midst of rereading Trouble Boys, which is the great replacements biography by my friend bob Mayer came out in 2016 Mm -hmm. kyle if you are a replacements fan and you haven't read that book i'd recommend it uh i think it's probably the best rock book written in the 21st century it's it's an incredible book incredible amount of research incredible storytelling you learn a lot about just indie music in the 80s reading that book as Uh well as alcoholism in the midwest (laughs) and uh you know our favorite IndieCast subject. Well, you know, uh, we won't delve too deep into that right now. Anyway, um, I assume that you and I have different takes on this band. Uh, I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say. I'll just say that for me, you know, I'm a 40-something-year-old man from the upper Midwest. So uh, yes. it is illegal for me to not <laughs> love the replacements. And I'll just say that I follow the law. Um, you know, I wrote about this recently when I did my lead singers list and I wrote about Paul Mm. Westerberg and in that blurb, I wrote about how, you know, there's this, uh, someone once talked about like how Woody Allen before his scandal period, he provided a blueprint for a certain kind of like nebbish East coast intellectual where you could take the annoying things about them, about yourself and make them 
like attractive attributes because of Woody <laughs> Allen. And I think Paul Westerberg uh, did the same thing for, uh, I'll say mostly guys from the upper Midwest who like drink too yeah. much. <laughs> guys who drink too much, who are judgmental, can be snarky and jerky, but at the end of the night, they're being sensitive and crying in their beer. And that is the Paul Westerberg model that I think a lot of people of my ilk have followed and aspired to. The difference is that when Paul Westerberg did it, it led to like dating Winona Ryder and things like that. Whereas for everyone else who tried to be like Paul <laughs> Westerberg, it just led to like Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, being overweight <laughs> and having a heart attack, you know, before your time. Um, so anyway, I'll say too that I think for people checking out the replacements now, they might sound a little dated in terms of the production. I I, I feel like oh, it was yeah. really hard to capture them on record. I'll say like if you're listening to this and you've never listened to the replacements, I really recommend checking out this live record that came out a few years ago. It's called For Sale Live at Maxwell's 1986, um, which captures a show right before Bob Stinson, the original guitar player, was fired. So you're really hearing the replacements like in their original glory. They're playing their best known songs. They're playing a lot of like, you know, 70s covers, like classic rock and bubblegum pop covers, which was very much their thing in the live show. Mm. And it sounds really like ragged and raw and the guitars are loud. And I, it really, I think, captures the mythos of the replacements, maybe even more than their records. So mm. listen to that record, I think. And then, you know, drink too much while you're listening to it, fall down, <laughs> embarrass yourself, uh, and then feel bad about it the next morning. So that's my take. Yeah. I. <laughs> I, I wonder how you feel there in your San Diego yeah. sunshine. I feel like this is not a band that speaks to you. I'm just taking a guess. Yeah, I mean, well, it's funny that you mentioned Woody Allen. And, you know, I don't want to belabor this comparison. But, you know, as someone who actually grew up on the East Coast and like a, you know, kind of a middle class Jewish household, like Woody Allen never resonated with me either. I'm like, fuck that. Like, I don't, I don't want... Like, I, I always like to think about like something that doesn't necessarily uh, speak to my experience. But... You know, with the replacements, like, um, every now and again, like, my wife will bring up, like, a movie, like, Back to the Future or, like, Star Wars or Pee-wee's Big Adventure. These, like, iconic films that, um, you know, she's probably seen, like, multiple times. And, I and like, I'll, and, I, and I look back, I'm like, wait a minute. I don't know if I've actually, like, sat down and watched these movies. You haven't, these you movies. haven't seen Back to the Future? I, like I've 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 seen parts of it I'm sure oh, and I've like absorbed all of it through cultural osmosis but like I cannot recall a time even as like a teen or like a, a, a you know a, a grade schooler where I sat down for two hours and watched it and you know it's and she looks at me like I'm insane. I just want to say quick that Pee Wee's Big Adventure maybe the funniest movie I've ever seen. I'm gonna throw that all out right. there. See it this weekend, and we'll talk about it next week, all right? Okay. Watch it with your yeah. wife. She'll want to watch it because she will probably also agree with me that it, it's the funniest movie ever made or one of the funniest movies ever made. But that movie makes me laugh, like, every Low scene. Key, they, they, they would, on car rides, listen to a cassette-like recorded version of it without the visuals because oh. I think – I think they like the soundtrack as well. But Get your wife on no the show, man. I should be talking to her, man. Like, she's seen Pee-wee's Big yeah. Adventure. She – pays it the proper respect yeah definitely yeah. you you have to watch that this weekend we'll talk we'll, we'll talk about kendrick and Pee Wee herman next week That'll be the <laughs> next episode yeah uh what, what what's it like uh big morale and the uh big adventure or some shit um 
Any, yeah, so it, it's just these like cultural blind spots I have, which seem pretty inexplicable. And look, I, I've listened to the replacement. Uh, I've listened to their albums like numerous times. I think Alex Chilton was like my number one. Um, you know, when we did the Pitchfork uh, '80s uh, song list, um, and yet, yet, even though like the replacements are like the source from which a lot of the music I love comes from. They, I feel somewhat like ambivalent towards them. Like I like them. I think they're important, but they like, I never had a replacement phase the way I did with like the Cure or Zeppelin. I mean, I think that's kind of true with a lot of 80s indie rock. Like I've never had the desire to like, I'm going to go through a Pixies deep dive, even though like I recognize their importance. Um, And also like, here's the thing that I... I know I'm going out on a limb here and I'm not trying to like insult your entire, the entire fucking Midwest region, but like the, the genius who can't get out of his way sort of mythos behind them. It just doesn't really resonate with me. Like I, I I talk about this in the 10 year anniversary piece of uh celebration rock that it's coming out in a few weeks. And I mean, you can't get celebration rock without the replacements, but why that album resonates with me so much more. It's like Paul Westerberg's clearly a genius. The Pandroids are not geniuses. They just like push themselves to extraordinary lengths to make something great. And you know, that sort, I don't know, maybe that's just the sort of thing that, um, I, I, I aspire to more than like being this, like, or, and I'm going to have to throw in guided by voices. Cause I think there's like kind of the similar sort of thing of like, Oh, he's a genius. But if he could just put that beer down. Oh, well, you um, had to bring in guided by voices. I, I do have to bring it. Like, well, that's different because guided by voices, I think they were clearly never going to be stars because even yeah. when they, emer- you know, they, they come out in their mid thirties, they're writing, you know, super short songs that are recorded in a basement. I mean, it wasn't like the replacements where they were signed to like, you know, Sire records and, uh, had a lot of opportunities that they squandered. I mean, I will say that I think Paul Westerberg, I mean, he was like a janitor, you know, like he, he wasn't some guy that like everyone crowned as a genius. I mean, he had to like work pretty hard to get to where he was, but he, they also had a self-destructed thing, which I'll talk Mm. about trouble boys. Trouble boys does a great job of, de-romanticizing that and really okay. grind grounding it in like basically just the trauma of like their childhoods like they had terrible oh. childhoods uh of like abuse and alcoholism and uh you know so anyway but don't bring a guy to my voice now i feel bad exactly but um yeah i, I think to kyle's point like are, do they get their due? There's no universe where the replacements were or are underrated. Like, even back in the day, they were, like, super acclaimed. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at times you could – I don't agree with this, but I think you could make the case that they were overrated. I mean, you, yeah. they're, they're closer to overrated <laughs> than underrated, I think. I Absolutely. Mean, not to keep plugging my, my friend's book here, Trouble Boys, but if you get, like, a 500-page biography, uh, you're not <laughs> underrated. You know, like I think no. you're proper. You, you you are properly rated uh, at worst. Uh, so yeah, uh, they got their. Deal. I mean, there were a ton of bands that were signed as like replacements. Like you know, like nowadays, like oh, let's look for a band that sounds like Beach House or you know Mitski. It's like that was kind of the de- like Soul Asylum, Goo Goo Dolls. I mean, there was like a wave of uh, uh, you know, kind of B tier replacements until they ended up getting way more popular. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the. The Goo Goo Dolls were such a replacement ripoff, but they sold yeah. 
like way more records and had way yeah. bigger hits. You know, that's a sort of yeah. like part of, uh, you know, but they also didn't screw up themselves as deliberately as the replacements did. Uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah, check out that live record, Live at Maxwell's 1986. I think if you are a newbie, that I think is a better entry point than any of the records, as much as I love the records. Check out that live record. I think you'll dig it. Well, let's get to the meat of our episode here. We're going to be talking about a record called A Light for Attracting Attention that is out today by a band called The Smile. And if you're like, who is The Smile? Well, two-thirds of this band is Tom York and Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. The final third is Tom Skinner, the drummer, uh, best known for the group uh, Sons of Kemet. Not Mike, not the guy from the streets. No, not the guy from the streets. Although that, that would be an incredible side project. Uh, yes. And this album is getting a lot of attention uh, for various reasons. I mean, of course, Tom York and Johnny Greenwood are two very beloved musicians. Uh, mm. And they haven't made a record together in Radiohead since 2016's A Moonshaped Pool. They've both been busy, of course, uh, with their solo endeavors. Tom York has put out various records over the years. Actually, the last Tom York solo record I thought was really quite good that came out in 2019. Uh, Johnny Greenwood has become one of the most acclaimed film composers. Uh, Of course, worked with Paul Thomas Anderson for a long time, but he's branched out to various other filmmakers. Uh, he worked on the Year of the Dog score with for Jane Campion, mm. among others. Um, but here they are working together in a group that, as many people have noted, sounds the most like Radiohead than anything yeah. else that they've done on their own. Uh, and th- this is something I wrote about in my review, which is out today on Uproxx. If you know anything about Radiohead, you know that the creation of Radiohead Records historically has taken a really long time. You know, they go through many different iterations, uh, you know, many different discussion points within the band. You know, they aren't a total democracy, but they are a band where each member has input and is very important uh, to the creation of albums. And York and Greenwood have both talked about how this has been frustrating for them in the past. You know, if you look at Tom York's solo career, he actually put out his first record as a solo artist, The Eraser, in in 2006, Mm. when Radiohead was in the midst of starting to work on In Rainbows, which was a process that took about two years for them to make that record. Gosh, Steve, I really wish there was a book that, like, delved into the difficulty of Radiohead making a record. Where can I find such a thing? Well, it's funny that you mentioned that, Ian, because I wrote a book about (laughs) the making of Kid A and Amnesiac that came out in 2020. It's called uh, This Isn't Happening. We've talked about it on the show before, but you can still buy it at a bookseller near you. Thank you for opening the door to a plug there. I appreciate it. Mm. Um, And Johnny Greenwood, uh, in the run-up to this album, he gave uh, an interview with the NME where he said that he wishes that at times that Radiohead albums could be, were, were maybe 90% as good and then come out twice as often. Like he feels like a huh. lot of times they end up sort of working a really long time on the like minute details of a record and, and waiting for it to finish. And it occurred to me listening to this album that it feels like it's 90% as good as a Radiohead record. <laughs> you know, I think that's a good way to describe this record. I, it, yeah. which to me, like that means it's damn good. Like I like this record a lot, and I think, right. uh, I think it'll really function as methadone for Radiohead fans that you know have been waiting a long time for them to make another record. Like more than 
the Tom York solo records or like Phil Selway's uh, Phil Selway's solo records or you know uh, EOB yeah like the Ed O'Brien record that came out in, in in 2019 which are all you know they all have their merits but if you're yeah. looking for like a Radiohead sounding record this isn't as good as a Radiohead album but it's still damn good and I kind of mm-hmm. appreciate how it is maybe not as perfect sounding uh because it means that we're actually getting a record as opposed to having to wait a really long time. I mean, how do you feel about this album? I mean, do you think I'm on track by describing it that way? Yeah, I totally think you're on track with it. Um, You know, like I think about the uh, other Radiohead uh, diaspora albums that you mentioned, like The Eraser. Like, I really liked that one a lot when I first reviewed it. I also thought I was probably just excited to get like a big assignment um you know that album is good but it's like if hail to the thief were like half as long and just backdrifts or like the gloaming or whatever but um yeah and i've been kind of left cold by pretty much everything else in that realm but here it's like okay well johnny green was involved and nigel godrich is involved so yeah it's gonna sound kind of sort of like a radiohead album um and specifically it sounds kind of sort of like a easier more jazzy uh, Moonshape Pool, which is an album I listened to last week. Um, still feel like it stands alone in the Radiohead discography. I don't love it, um, but, you know, I appreciate what it does. Um, I don't know. Like, I, maybe you, like... Can we, like, spend 20 minutes talking about tomorrow's Modern Boxes or something like that? <laughs> like, I just feel like we haven't... Or Adams for Peace. Uh, nah, I'm playing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I... I I hear this album, particularly the first song, um, you know, because that to me is like radio, that could be on a Radiohead album. Um, And yeah, I like it. You know, I don't get the same, uh, this is history in the making feeling that I get when I listen to a Radiohead album. Um, But, and I also don't get the same sort of like, oh, this is like a band that is like central to my identity feeling that I used to get from listening to a Radiohead record, but Hey, cool. It's out. It's something different. Um, and I just also kind of wonder what like, you know, Colin Greenwood and, um, you know, Ed, uh, think about this. Cause it's like, man, are people going to start questioning what we actually bring to the table? Well, you know, I, I actually feel like in a way this album makes a case for what Radiohead brings to the table as a band. Because again, I, I right. don't think that it is as good as a Radiohead record. It feels like no. at times that, you know, there's some songs on the record that I feel like are a little, uh, you know, they feel like a little stock to me, uh, you yeah. know, uh Kind of like in the back half of the record, but like you know, like like speech bubbles oh, yeah. and skirting on the surface, songs like that are like very pretty. And of course, you know, Nigel Godrich worked on this record, so it sounds like immaculate, fantastic. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned a moonshade pool. Uh, I was getting like hailed with the thief vibes with this record huh. too. Like you know, there's songs, for instance, like we don't know what tomorrow brings, uh, which is like this synth rock burner. You know it. It's like really kind of fast paced. It reminds me of like some of the more aggressive songs on that record. I mean, really, 
if you look at Radiohead's trajectory on their recent records, there haven't been like a lot of like up tempo rockers. I mean, really, the last one they made was uh, you know like, uh, on in Rainbows, like Body Snatchers. It's like kind of like the last yeah. song in that mode. And then you know you have that song. It was the first single from the record. You'll never work in television again, which is which. just going right back to that. It, they have not you know hit those marks in a while. Like uh, you know, King of Limbs and a Moonshape Pool, which are both records that I think have their merits, and I and I like both records overall. There's not a lot of just like zippy, fast paced guitar mm-hmm. rock where like Tom York is like you know spitting shrapnel, you know, like those kind of songs, uh, which again I associate more, you know, even more than like in Rainbows. I think Hail to the Thief is like kind of like their last record where there's like several of those kinds of songs. Um, I think the most beautiful song on the record, I think the song that like stands out the most to me is that song Free in the Knowledge, which yeah. is really returning. With the acoustic guitar. And, and the strings yeah. come in. And it's interesting yeah. to me because I feel like a lot of times on Tom York's solo records, and this is kind of going back to Kid A, he really resists the beauty of his voice. Like he, mm-hmm. he There's a famous quote, that I cited in the book, it might, I think, be the epigraph where he says, like, I'm annoyed by how pretty my voice is. So, like, <laughs> a lot of times he buries his voice in, like, kind of glitchy subterfuge that, you know, because yeah. I guess he doesn't want to be associated with Chris Martin and, like, all the people that emulated his vocals <laughs> in the 90s. Uh, right. But there's something about, you know, maybe working under the smile moniker where York and Green would both feel liberated to, like, sound like their older selves in a way that I think they resist on like proper Radiohead records. So, I mean, I have to say like, this is a very basic thing to say about this record, but I, I think that the simplest and most profound pleasure of this album is hearing Johnny Greenwood play guitar and uh, hearing Tom York sing beautiful melodies in a beautiful voice. I mean, you know, if you like that kind of stuff, it's great. It, it delivers that in a way, again, that like, I feel like they feel more inclined to pull back on regular Radiohead yeah. records, you know, because I think that's always what makes Radiohead records difficult to make is that they don't want to repeat themselves and they don't want to lean on what their obvious strengths are. Um, mm. And it just seems like maybe they felt a little more comfortable being a little more obvious on this record. Yeah. And still though, I think that there's, um, I guess like lyrically and melodically, there's still, I think the desire to kind of overcomplicate things like they, these songs do have a framework of, let's say, you know, like scatterbrain, uh, when I, I'm going to like discuss this strictly within the scope of, um, hail to the thief, which in, I feel like that album's like kind of underrated now. Um, because yeah, it, it's like a bit of a mess compared to like what preceded it. But when I think about like, you know, uh, sit down, stand up, or uh, where I end and you begin. Like these songs that are considered like inessential, they're still like to me. Way, they hit way harder than the music here because I think you know, especially like working with like these uh, you know London Contemporary Orchestra and like these jazz people that like Radiohead sort of like looked down on rock music, which they happen to be really fucking good at, um, and. Um, it's like, I wonder how this album is going to be re- received six months from now. As a, like, I feel like this album's going to be like kind of overrated in the immediate. 
underrated and or not underrated but like it's gonna fall back as the year goes on and then maybe like three years from now as we're still waiting on like a and we're doing like the 10 year anniversary piece of hail of the thief it'll be like under like oh this is an underappreciated album again so i i don't know if it'll ever be accurately rated well it's hard to say i mean because obviously radiohead fans it's such a you know, passionate fan base that, you know, they're going to analyze the hell out of this record. Uh, And I think for that segment of listeners, it probably will generate more excitement than anything Tom or Johnny have done on their own, just because like those guys working together, I think it really is like a magical combination in terms of like, you know, the overall sort of critical community or maybe just like general interest audience. um, It really makes me think about like, where's Radiohead's place right now? In music, yeah, because for obviously people like you and I, who grew up with this band uh, and became critics when they were still, I think, <laughs> looked at as like a focal point type artist. You know that yeah, you, they put out a record and everyone cares about it. And not only is it being judged on the musical merits, but it's almost expected to change the paradigm of like how music is made and sold. Mm. I mean, that was a standard that they kept up for a long time. And even the Moonshade Pool was a record. I remember when that came out that, you know, people were live tweeting that record. I feel like yeah. everyone was listening to it and everyone had to have an opinion on it. Uh, but, you know, going back to our Kendrick conversation, you know, it's been five years since his last record. It's been six years since the Radiohead record. I have no idea when they're going to make another one or even if they will make another one. Yeah. Um, there's this whole generation of listeners who have no firsthand experience with this band, who have only had mm-hmm. it passed down. I actually recently had a conversation with the people over at Endless Scroll, uh, the only other indie rock uh, podcast in the world. And, of course, all the hosts there, they're all in their 20s. It was interesting talking to them about Radiohead because to them, Radiohead is a band that you hear about in college, you know, that you're, <laughs> that you almost like when we were in our twenties, how we heard about Pink Floyd or something, yeah, uh, or, you know, Brian Eno or Kraftwerk or something. Um, and I just got the impression talking to them that it was almost like Radiohead was homework to them. And it wasn't like a, again, a first person type love. Uh, so for that audience, I feel like a side project, yeah, even with the two main people in it, is not going to seem significant at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I do wonder. I don't worry, but I do wonder. You know, like whether radio is going to be seen in that sort of way because, um, I I, I think that if they were to release an album it would still be kind of a break the internet type event. Like maybe not to the extent like in rainbows was, or, you know, kid a, but certainly like a moon shaped pool where it is the thing that like sucks all the oxygen out of the room for a period of time. But, um, I I don't know. Like, I I don't doubt that Radiohead is, they're maybe not like the focal point of music, but I think that like people who go into music writing are still going to view them as like kind of being a true North. Um, you know, like I, I can't think of too many bands right now um, that are in the A-list or top tier that are like Radiohead influenced. You know, this isn't like 2002 or 2003 anymore. Um, and I also wonder, um, you know, it's been a while, I think, since we've seen like a 90s 
albums list or a 2000s albums list made by, you know, a prominent publication. And, you know, back in the day, especially like, you know, me writing a pitchfork, like we never did a revote of the 90s one. Like you would expect like, oh, yeah, of course, OK, Computer is number one or of course, Kid A is number one. And I think if one if a publication was going to do that, like in 2022, even I, I, it would be top five, but I think you would have to put something else in there just to make a point. Because I think you're right that Radiohead, even if they are have aged incredibly gracefully um, for a band of their uh, stature, they're still kind of viewed as like being symbolic of the uh, you know older white male critic who sees art rock as you know the epitome of like what music should shoot for. So right, yeah. I mean, I think I, I think if Pitchfork did a '90s list now. They'd put something yeah. like Mariah Carey Butterfly at number one, you know, and I, and I, and I <laughs> yeah. say that seriously. It would be something like that. It would be a pop R and B record, or it'd be a hip hop record, and like, and but Radiohead would probably have the highest rock record. Or, yes, or, that's or, or exactly. Or maybe Nirvana, it. you know, Nirvana too, or but Radiohead. I mean, I do think it's remarkable with Radiohead. I can't think of another band that has been around as long as them and have been as prominent as them where if they put out a new record, there's an expectation that it will be great. You know, yeah. like they've been around almost 30 years now and you're right. Mm-hmm. I think if they put, if they announced next week, we're dropping a record at the, you know, on Friday, people would be excited about it. And there'd be like a thought like, Oh, this could be really great. You know, yeah. there's not a lot of bands that you can say that about. Um, but, uh, Going back to you, know, you were t- saying like you know what is uh, Ed O'Brien and Colin Gr- Greenwood and Phil Selway thinking <laughs> when they listen to this record? I would like to pull them aside and like have an off the record conversation. I, I because it is a little like and excuse the very classic rock reference here, but it's like you know Keith Richards and Mick Jagger making a record with a different drummer where it sounds just yeah. like XL on Main Street. You know, and it's, it's like a little weird to make a record that is playing in the same lane to the degree that this record is uh, when like your other band just seems inactive. I, 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 I really wonder sometimes like if there will be another Radiohead album. I, I mean, maybe they've been working on one this whole time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think it will be an instance where they just put out a press release and yeah. say, we're dropping something this afternoon. And, and, we, and we've been working on it since like 2018 and like no one will know uh, that this has been going on. And then all of a sudden we'll have a new Radiohead record. Um, yeah, it's going to be the back to rock one. Like, hey, we're going to sound like the like the one that people have been trying to will into existence for like 25 years. But then, you know, but it feels like this record would steal the thunder from something like that, though. You know, yeah. even if it is the full band. You know, how different would a record like that be from this album? You know, it's just, it's just interesting to contemplate this stuff. I have no idea what's going on in their camp. Uh, yeah. But I I mean, the other thing about a Moonshaped Pool, too, is that it sounds like a final record. It has that vibe to it. Yeah, the true ending with True Love Waits. I mean, it's. I think the finality of it is... You, like in it's baked into the album like you, it, you a lot of the reviews of it a lot of the reception of it a lot of the you know the way people talk about it now talk about it as if oh yeah we must view this in light of finality it's like you know the divorce album and it's like they end with a song that's been around since the 90s like there is no better way for radiohead to go out like it's just a perfect ending and i think almost 
I think maybe there's like a little bit of like, I kind of hope Radiohead doesn't make another record because then you might have to like reassess a Moonshade pool, which is, in my view, a little bit overrated, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just hope that they do something again, but you know, maybe it's better that they don't and we'll just have, you know, the smile from now on, which wouldn't be so bad. I like the smile. Maybe maybe they're going to do their kid A after this one. now reach the part of our episode that we call recommendation corner where ian and i talk about something that we're into this week ian why don't you go first yeah so um gosh that one week we took off really uh you know set us back as far as recommendation corner so i want there was an album that came out on uh april 29th a couple weeks ago that i probably would have mentioned in the past it's from a band called hey i love you stylized hey comma i l y exclamation point um, they put out a record called Psychokinetic Love Songs. They are a self-described power pop kind of music from Billings, Montana. Um, I think of them as more kind of a fifth wave emo band. You know, they're they're in the Glass Beach uh, diaspora. If we're going to talk about the Radiohead diaspora, we got to talk about its 2020s equivalent, the uh, Glass Beach diaspora. Um, and it throws a lot of really cool things together. There's chip tunes. There's like glam rock. There's like metal riffage going on. And um it it's you know the kind of album that people talk about it's like oh it's we live in a genreless era i don't know why they're talking like a 1920 news person talking about this 2022 fifth wave emo album but that being said uh this does um build on the promise of internet breath and digital lung uh which were a couple of releases from last year um you know it's been kind of overlooked or at least maybe i think it's been overlooked maybe i'm not writing about emo as much um in the public sphere, but, uh, yeah, this is in the same way that the smile is like, Hey, if you like Radiohead, this will tide you over. I think that this album will definitely hit the uh, pleasure points. If you're still waiting for, uh, the second glass beach album, which I fucking know I am. So, so I want to talk about a band from Australia called rolling blackouts, coastal fever. They put out their third album last week. It's called Endless Rooms, and this is a band I've been listening to for several years now, going back to the uh, EPs that they put out in the mid-2010s, and there's an element of this band where they seem like sort of a quintessential group that would appeal to a 44-year-old music critic, so there's a part (laughs) of me that wants to resist what they do, but they're so good at what they do that I, 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 I can't, you know, I have to play to type and endorse this band, uh, there's elements of this group that I think could be described as post-punk. I think especially if they were from England, I right. think they would be a darker sounding band. But because they come from Australia, there's a sunniness that they bring to those post-punk influences, which of course would be jagged guitars, occasionally talky vocals. But instead of coming across as dark, it just comes across as like very zippy guitar pop songs with the, with the swinging rhythm section and like cool guitar solos. And essentially, I, I think that this record is very well-timed coming out, uh, you know, in May because this is the beginning of barbecue season, especially for people like me <laughs> that live in the Midwest. I know this weekend it's supposed to be in the mid-70s and sunny and beautiful, and I look forward to being in my backyard and listening to a lot of music. and. And this record, I think, is just perfect for that. Again, if you like great 
melodies, if you like cool guitar solos, if you like driving rhythm sections, you're basically getting that over and over on this record. It goes great in the sunshine. I'm going to throw some hot dogs on the grill and put this record on. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Again, it's called Endless Rooms. The band is called Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Check it out. We have now reached the end of our episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 